Chapter Eighteen, Part One, of the Worst Journey in the World, Volume Two, by Apsley Cherry Garrard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen, The Polar Journey, Farthest South, Part One. This happy breed of men, this little world, this precious stone set in the silver sea, which serves it in the office of a wall. This blessed plot, this earth, this realm, this England, This nurse, this teeming womb of royal kings, This land of such dear souls, this dear, dear land. Shakespeare Stevenson has written of a traveller whose wife slumbered by his side What time his spirit readventured forth in memory of days gone by. He was quite happy about it, and I suppose his travels had been peaceful for days and nights such as these men spent coming down the Beardmore will give you nightmare after nightmare and wake you shrieking years after. Of course they were shaken and weakened, but the conditions they had faced and the time they had been out do not, in my opinion, account entirely for their weakness nor for Evans' collapse, which may have had something to do with the fact that he was the biggest, heaviest and most muscular man in the party. I do not believe that this is a life for such men who were expected to pull their weight and to support and drive a larger machine than their companions, and at the same time to eat no extra food. If, as seems likely, the ration these men were eating was not enough to support the work they were doing, then it is clear that the heaviest man will feel the deficiency sooner and more severely than the others who are smaller than he. Evans must have had a most terrible time. I think it is clear from the diaries that he had suffered very greatly without complaint. At home he would have been nursed in bed. Here he must march. He was pulling the day he died, until he was crawling on his frostbitten hands and knees in the snow. Horrible. Most horrible, perhaps, for those who found him so, and sat in the tent and watched him die. I am told that simple concussion does not kill as suddenly as this. Probably some clot had moved in his brain. For one reason and another they took very nearly as long to come down the glacier with a featherweight sledge as we had taken to go up it with full loads. Seven days' food were allowed from the upper to the lower glacier depot. Bowers told me that he thought this was running it fine, but the two supporting parties got through all right, though they both tumbled into the horrible pressure above the cloud-maker. The last return party took seven and a half days, the polar party ten days. The latter had been twenty-five and a half days longer on the plateau than the former. Owing to their slow progress down the glacier, the polar party went on short rations for the first and last time until they camped on March 19th. With the exception of these days, they had either their full or more than their full ration until that date. Until they reached the barrier on their return journey, the weather can be described neither as abnormal nor as unexpected. There were 300 statute miles, 260 geographic, to be covered to one ton depot and 150 statute miles, 130 geographic, more from one ton to Hut Point. They had just picked up one week's food for five men. Between the Beardmore and one ton there were three more depots each with one week's food for five men. They were four men. Their way was across the main body of the barrier, out of sight of land, and away from any immediate influence of the comparatively warm sea ahead of them. Nothing was known of the weather conditions in the middle of the barrier at this time of the year, and no one suspected that March conditions there were very cold. Shackleton turned homeward on January 10th, reached his bluff depot on February 23rd, and Hut Point on February 28th. Wilson's diary continues. 
February 18th. We had only five hours sleep. We had butter and biscuit and tea when we woke at 2 p.m., then came over the gap entrance to the pony slaughter camp, visiting a rock moraine of Mount Hope on the way. February 19th. Late in getting away after making up new ten-foot sledge and digging out pony meat, we made five and a half miles on a very heavy surface indeed. This bad surface is the feature of their first homeward marches on the barrier. From now onwards they complain always of the terrible surfaces, but a certain amount of the heavy pulling must be ascribed to their own weakness. In the low temperatures which occurred later, bad surfaces were to be expected, but now the temperatures were not really low, about zero to minus seventeen degrees. Fine clear days for the most part, and, a thing to be noticed, little wind. They wanted wind which would probably be behind them from the south. Oh, for a little wind, Scott writes. E. Evans evidently had plenty. He was already very anxious. If this goes on we shall have a bad time, but I sincerely trust it is only the result of this windless area close to the coast, and that, as we are making steadily outwards, we shall shortly escape it. It is perhaps premature, February 19th, to be anxious about covering distance. In all other respects things are improving. We have our sleeping bags spread on the ledge, and they are drying, but above all we have our full measure of food again. Tonight we had a sort of stew-fry of pemmican and horse-flesh, and voted it the best hoosh we had ever had on a sledge journey. The absence of poor Evans is a help to the commissariat, but if he had been here in a fit state we might have got along faster. I wonder what is in store for us, with some little alarm, at the lateness of the season. And on February 20th, when they made seven miles, at present our sledge and ski leave deeply ploughed tracks which can be seen winding for miles behind. It is distressing, but as usual trials are forgotten when we camp, and good food is our lot. Pray God we get better travelling, as we are not so fit as we were, and the season is advancing apace. And on February 21st we never won a march of eight and a half miles with greater difficulty, but we can't go on like this. A breeze suddenly came from south-south-east, force four to six, at eleven a.m. on February 22nd, and they hoisted the sail on the sledge they had just picked up. They immediately lost the tracks they were following, and failed to find the cairns and camp remains, which they should have picked up if they had been on the right course, which was difficult here owing to the thick weather we had on the outward march. Bowers was sure they were too near the land, and steered out, but still failed to pick up the line on which their depots and their lives depended. Scott was convinced they were outside, not inside the line. The next morning Bowers took a round of angles, and they came to the conclusion on slender evidence that they were still too near the land. They had an unhappy march still off the tracks, but just as we decided to lunch, Bowers' wonderful sharp eyes detected an old double lunch cairn. The theodolite telescope confirmed it, and our spirits rose accordingly. Then Wilson had another, Bad attack of snow glare. Could hardly keep a chink of eye open in goggles to see the course. Fat pony hoosh. This day they reached the lower barrier depot. They were in evil case, but they would have been all right, these men, if the cold had not come down upon them, a bolt quite literally from the blue of a clear sky, unexpected, unforetold, and fatal. The cold itself was not so tremendous until you realise that they had been out four months, that they had fought their way up the biggest glacier in the world in feet of soft snow, that they had spent seven weeks under plateau conditions of rarefied air, 
big winds and low temperatures, and they had watched one of their companions die, not in a bed, in a hospital, or ambulance, nor suddenly, but slowly, night by night, and day by day, with his hands frostbitten and his brain going, until they must have wondered, each man in his heart, whether in such case a human being could be left to die, that four men might live. He died a natural death, and they went out on to the barrier. Given such conditions as were expected, and the conditions for which preparation had been made, they would have come home alive and well. Some men say the weather was abnormal. There is some evidence that it was. The fact remains that the temperature dropped into the minus thirties by day and the minus forties by night. The fact also remains that there was a great lack of southerly winds, and in consequence the air near the surface was not being mixed. Excessive radiation took place, and a layer of cold air formed near the ground. Crystals also formed on the surface of the snow, and the wind was not enough to sweep them away. As the temperature dropped, so the surface for the runners of the sledges became worse, as I explained elsewhere. They were pulling, as it were, through sand. In the face of the difficulties which beset them, their marches were magnificent. Eleven and a half miles on February 25th, and again on the following day, 12.2 miles on February 27th, and 11.5 miles again on February 28th and 29th. If they could have kept this up, they would have come through without a doubt, but I think it was about now that they suspected, and then were sure, that they could not pull through. Scott's diary, written at lunch, March 2nd, is as follows. Misfortunes rarely come singly. We marched to the middle barrier depot fairly easily yesterday afternoon, and since that have suffered three distinct blows which have placed us in a bad position. First, we found a shortage of oil. With most rigid economy, it can scarce carry us to the next depot on this surface, seventy-one miles away. Second, Titus Oates disclosed his feet, the toes showing very bad indeed, evidently bitten by the late temperatures. The third blow came in the night, when the wind, which we had hailed with some joy, brought dark overcast weather. It fell below minus forty in the night, and this morning it took one and a half hours to get our footgear on, but we got away before eight. We lost cairn and tracks together, and made as steadily as we could north by west, but have seen nothing. Worse was to come. The surface is simply awful. In spite of strong wind and full sail, we have only done five and a half miles. We are in a very queer street, since there is no doubt we cannot do the extra marches and feel the cold horribly. They did nearly ten miles that day, but on March the 3rd they had a terrible time. God help us, wrote Scott. We can't keep up this pulling, that is certain. Amongst ourselves we are unendingly cheerful, but what each man feels in his heart I can only guess. Putting on footgear in the morning is getting slower and slower, therefore every day more dangerous. The following extracts are taken from Scott's diary. March the 4th, lunch. We are in a very tight place indeed, but none of us despondent yet. Or at least, we preserve every semblance of good cheer, but one's heart sinks as the sledge stops dead at some sastrugi behind which the surface sand lies thickly heaped. For the moment the temperature is in the minus twenty. An improvement which makes us much more comfortable, but a colder snap is bound to come again soon. I fear that Oates, at least, will weather such an event very poorly. Providence to our aid. 
We can expect little from man now except the possibility of extra food at the next depot. It will be real bad if we get there and find the same shortage of oil. Shall we get there? Such a short distance it would have appeared to us at the summit. I don't know what I should do if Wilson and Bowers weren't so determinedly cheerful over things. Monday, March the 5th, lunch. Regret to say going from bad to worse. We got a slant of wind yesterday afternoon, and going on five hours we converted our wretched morning run of three and a half miles into something over nine. We went to bed on a cup of cocoa and pemmican, solid with the chill off. The result is telling on all, but mainly on oats, whose feet are in a wretched condition. One swelled up tremendously last night, and he is very lame this morning. We started March on tea and pemmican, as last night. We pretend to prefer the pemmican this way. Marched for five hours this morning over a slightly better surface covered with high moundy sastrugi. Sledge capsized twice. We pulled on foot, covering about five and a half miles. We are two pony marches and four miles about from our depot. Our fuel dreadfully low, and the poor soldier nearly done. It is pathetic enough because we can do nothing for him. More hot food might do a little, but only a little, I fear. We none of us expected these terribly low temperatures, and of the rest of us Wilson is feeling them most, mainly, I fear, from his self-sacrificing devotion in doctoring Oates's feet. We cannot help each other. Each has enough to do to take care of himself. We get cold on the march when the trudging is heavy, and the wind pierces our worn garments. The others, all of them, are unendingly cheerful when in the tent. We mean to see the game through with a proper spirit, but it's tough work to be pulling harder than we ever pulled in our lives for long hours, and to feel that the progress is so slow. One can only say, God help us, and plod on our weary way, cold and very miserable, though outwardly cheerful. We talk of all sorts of subjects in the tent. Not much of food now, since we decided to take the risk of running a full ration. We simply couldn't go hungry at this time. Tuesday, March 6, lunch. We did a little better, with the help of wind, yesterday afternoon, finishing nine and a half miles for the day, and twenty-seven miles from depot. But this morning things have been awful. It was warm in the night, and for the first time during the journey I overslept myself by more than an hour. Then we were slow with the footgear, then pulling with all our might, for our lives. We could scarcely advance at a rate of a mile an hour. Then it grew thick, and three times we had to get out of harness to search for tracks. The result is something less than three and a half miles for the forenoon. The sun is shining now, and the wind gone. Poor Oates is unable to pull, sits on the sledge when we are track-searching. He is wonderfully plucky, as his feet must be giving him great pain. He makes no complaint, but his spirits only come up in spurts now, and he grows more silent in the tent. We are making a spirit lamp to try and replace the primus when our oil is exhausted. Wednesday, March 7th. A little worse, I fear. One of Oates's feet, very bad this morning. He is wonderfully brave. We still talk of what we will do together at home. We only made six and a half miles yesterday. This morning in four and a half hours we did just over four miles. We are sixteen from our depot. If we only find the correct proportion of food there, and this surface continues, we may get to the next depot, Mount Hooper, seventy-two miles farther, but not to one-ton camp. We hope against hope that the dogs have been to Mount Hooper, then we might pull through, 
If there is a shortage of oil again, we can have little hope. One feels that for poor oats the crisis is near, but none of us are improving, though we are wonderfully fit considering the really excessive work we are doing. We are only kept going by good food. No wind this morning, till a chill northerly air came ahead. Sun bright and cairn showing up well. I should like to keep the track to the end. Thursday, March 8th, lunch. Worse and worse in morning. Poor Oates's left foot can never last out, and time over footgear something awful. Have to wait in night footgear for nearly an hour before I start changing, and then I'm generally first to be ready. Wilson's feet giving trouble now, but this mainly because he gives so much help to others. We did four and a half miles this morning, and are now eight and a half miles from the depot, a ridiculously small distance to feel in difficulties, yet on this surface we know we cannot equal half our old marches, and that for that effort we expend nearly double the energy. The great question is, what shall we find at the depot? If the dogs have visited it, we may get along a good distance, but if there is another short allowance of fuel, God help us indeed. We are in a very bad way, I fear, in any case. Saturday, March 10th. Things steadily downhill. Oates' foot worse. He has rare pluck and must know that he can never get through. He asked Wilson if he had a chance this morning, and of course Bill had to say he didn't know. In point of fact he has none. Apart from him, if he went under now, I doubt whether we could get through. With great care we might have a dog's chance, but no more. The weather conditions are awful, and our gear gets steadily more icy and difficult to manage. Yesterday we marched up the depot. Mount Hooper. Cold comfort. Shortage on our allowance all round. I don't know that any one is to blame. The dogs which would have been our salvation have evidently failed. Mears had a bad trip home, I suppose. This morning it was calm when we breakfasted, but the wind came from the west-northwest as we broke camp. It rapidly grew in strength. After travelling for half an hour I saw that none of us could go on facing such conditions. We were forced to camp, and are spending the rest of the day in a comfortless blizzard camp, wind quite foul. End of chapter 18, part 1